I saw a poster the other day that made me chuckle. It was very simple. It read, deep down, I'm a very shallow person. <laughs> and after I got done sort of chuckling for a moment, I, I thought to myself, you know, I can be kind of a shallow person. I, I confess, I, I judge people by their appearances far more than I care to admit. And uh, I really don't want my life to be difficult. I don't. I want it to be comfortable, affordable, and neat. I don't like messes. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't want my life to be a mess. I want simple answers to complex questions. And I want fast results for entrenched problems. What I've discovered as a result of that is that I want often what the world can't deliver. The things I want, sometimes this world was never designed to deliver. Pastor uh, Mark Buchanan, uh, he's from British Columbia, I believe, uh, he wrote a book some years ago called Things Unseen, and he said, this world creates a thirst in us that it cannot quench. It creates a thirst in us that it cannot quench. Let me, let me give you an example of, of what I'm thinking of. When I was in school, I wanted A's without having to study for the exam. Been there? I, even today, I want a trim waistline, although I love Big Macs and hot fudge sundaes. And I want to find some bit of deep wisdom on Facebook. Good luck. The world creates a thirst in us that it cannot quench. And if you have lived for more than five years, I think that's most of us, you have suffered what Philip Yancey calls disappointment with God. He wrote a book by that title. I highly recommend it. It's 20 years old, but it's still worth reading. Disappointment with God. Unmet expectations, unanswered prayers, and acne, just to name a few. <laughs> what I've discovered is that God's ways are not our ways. That sounds biblical, doesn't it? The way he's running the world is not the way I would run it. Thank goodness. But his ways are not our ways, and we need to come to grips with that. And when things don't go our way, we can get angry. I know none, nobody in this room has ever gotten angry with God, but I have. And because I'm afraid to admit that I'm angry with God, sometimes I settle for sort of shallow answers to the issues I'm wrestling with. Pithy platitudes that 
you know, they sound kind of profound in the moment. They don't hold up in the long haul. Let me, here's a couple of them. (laughs) When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Uh, That doesn't get me out of bed in the morning. God helps them who helps themselves. One that we often use that I think we really mean, and I think it's fine. Time heals all wounds. Not all of them. Sometimes they just fester. My favorite, though, is it is what it is. What does that mean? I've never heard anybody give me an explanation for what that means. And yet, we, we think of it as something to build my, our lives on, are these things. And, and I'm telling you, pithy statements and little sound bites are not adequate. When the north wind comes blowing down the hill in February and knocks our life completely all over. And for some of us this morning, it's February. I'm not talking about the month we're in. It's February. It's cold. It's dark. And we're standing on the precipice of hopeless. So what do we do? We hunker down. We pull back. We protect ourselves because we don't want to get let down again. We don't want to get hurt. And we've been hurt. We've been hurt by the church. We've been hurt by our family. We've been hurt by friends. And sometimes we've even been hurt by God. You know, when we hunker down and pull back, that sounds more like a graveyard than a life. And yet Jesus promised us in John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and life abundantly not problem free but abundantly a life that's full that's rich that is is deep and meaningful and has a reason to to go on when everything inside of them says i'm done shallow answers are the things that we often go to but they don't sustain when the storms come so how do we get from that shallow life, shallow answered kind of approach to life, to something that is deeper and more meaningful, abundance. I can promise you, you're not going to like my answer this morning. But it's the truth. And I hope we can embrace it. Now to do that, I want to introduce you to some people. They're not so different from you and me. They really aren't have the same expectations that get dashed on the rocks of reality sometimes. And in this particular case, the ultimate. They, we meet them in John chapter 20, the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me there. But before we do, let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you this morning. May your spirit guide us and teach us. And may we come away from this morning changed because we've met with you and we've heard your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Verse 19, I'm reading, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. Shalom be with you. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad they saw the, had seen the Lord. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so even so I am sending you. Now, to get a sense for what's going on here, let's set the scene. Night has settled over Jerusalem. It is Sunday evening of what we would call Easter Sunday, the evening of the resurrection. The last 48 hours have been literally hell for these disciples and for the Savior. They're tucked away in a room with the door bolted and locked because they're afraid that what they did to Jesus, they were going to come for them. Every sound out in the courtyard that they they didn't expect caused them to jump. And they were expecting the, the door to be pounded on at any moment. Come on out of there. You're under arrest. The tension in the room was palpable. Oh, sure. Some of them said they had seen the, the, the master. Even two for, that were on the, uh, a road to the village of Emmaus said he walked with them and he ate with them. Now, doubting Thomas, I shouldn't say that, Thomas, the one who we refer to as the doubter, wasn't with the group, as we're going to see here in just a minute. He wasn't with them. But make no mistake, men and women, he wasn't the only one who had his doubts. They were all, or at least most of them, were doubting at that hour, unsure, shaken to the core. And then they hear a voice, a voice so familiar. They had just heard it on Friday, but they never expected to hear it ever again. It was a voice of comfort. It was a voice of authority. It was a voice of hope. It was the voice of the master. And as their gaze turned, they saw a figure standing in their midst. And they had to have been thinking, how did he get in here? The door is locked. He is dead. I saw him. He was hanging on that cross. He was limp. He was lifeless. He was dead as any other human being has ever been dead. And, and some of you in this room had, had, had taken him down and prepared him for burial and laid him in a tomb. He was dead. How can this be? This just doesn't, this just doesn't compute. Dead people don't rise from the grave. And Jesus, as he looks into his eyes, he sees the fear. And he says, look, it's me. 
Look at my hands. Look at my feet. See the, see the wound in my side where the spear pierced. It's me. Don't, it's me. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm alive. And I have something I want you to do for me. I love the way Luke tells this, the story briefly in Luke chapter 24. He says in verse 37, when Jesus says, peace be to you. He says, but they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. You think? I mean, how else did he get into the room? Beam me up, Scotty. I don't know. That's kind of, that's got maybe a little more reality to it than we think because he just appears and he starts talking. But he goes on, he says, a spirit, see my hands and my feet, that it's myself. Touch me, see me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. By the way, that's why the bodily resurrection is so important. We're not going to be some floating spirits flying around for all eternity. He says, and when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they disbelieved for joy, take that for an interesting phrase. They disbelieved for joy. That just tells you how messed up they were. I mean, they didn't know whether to believe or, or to be happy. Or You ever been there? I mean, you don't know whether to laugh or cry or scream or what. They disbelieve for joy. And Jesus, he's looking at them and, and he sees that they're still having a hard time. So you know what he says? You got anything to eat around here? And so they handed him a piece of broiled fish, probably tilapia, one of the favorite dishes of the, the region there. And he took it and he ate it before them. See? I can even digest food. They were struggling. This, was, this just didn't, have, didn't fit any of their categories. As um, many of you know, I lost my mom a few weeks back. Uh, she was 101 years old. You know, put that picture up there. Okay. Take my word for it. Oh, there it is. She was 101 years old. And so her passing wasn't exactly unexpected. I mean, um, that's the last hug I ever got from my mother. She said to me, it was the last time I ever heard her say, Mark, I love you. Although she said it the way she she said Marcus. She called me Marcus. Marcus, I love you. She was still alert. This was probably eight, ten days before she died. And i got to tell you, when somebody you love that much dies, even if they're 101 years old, it messes with your head. You're, you, you have a difficult time focusing. You're uh, a little bit confused. You're, uh, you know, you're, you're out of kilter. You're out of sync. You don't exactly know... Uh, how to react. Now imagine 
that that person you love died on Friday afternoon. And you saw them and you knew they were dead. They were dead. And so you're sitting down for supper on Sunday afternoon and guess who shows up unannounced? Says, you got something to eat? That's what they were trying to process. That's what they were trying to figure out. See, we have 2,000 years of Easter services to, re- to, to let us know what was going on. So we think, oh, yeah, that's, I get it. No. This was the biggest disappointment, disappointed with God moment of their life. And he throws this into it. And they're trying to process it. So think about that. What would make you believe? The scars. Why did Jesus keep the scars? That's always fascinated me. As they looked at him, I'm guessing the the wounds were still red and puffy. The blood may have still been partially dried in places, but he had arrived that night in his perfect resurrection body. And he still had the scars. Why? (laughs) See, unless you're a pirate, who wants more scars? You know? I, 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 I don't know anybody that wants more scars. Scars usually remind me of something really painful in my life that I just as soon move on from. Or really stupid... And then I really want to move on from it. I want to put it in the past. I want to forget about it. But Jesus does no such thing. He says, here, see, it's me. Garrison Keeler has said that it is a shallow life that doesn't give a person a few scars. It is a shallow life that doesn't give a person a few scars. Jesus kept his scars, even though he had a perfect body. Now, when I think of my resurrection body, and by the way, I've got one on order. I don't know the delivery date yet, but it's set, and I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I, when I think of a resurrection body, I don't think so much about scars, but you know what I think about? I won't age. I won't wrinkle Botox company will be out of business. I long for it because, you know, there's something about all of us. There's, I, my guess is there's not a single person in this room that if I said, what was one thing you could change about your body? You'd have something. Because we all are discontented with our bodies. Even the beautiful people. In fact, sometimes the beautiful people are the most conscious of, of their imperfections. You know, they need a nip here and a tuck there and, you know, try to get things more a fill here, you know, whatever. There's something we don't like about our bodies. And so the hope of wider teeth, no cavities, you know, no glasses, no allergies, no cancer, no tumors, no uh, cholesterol screenings, <laughs> no disease, no dementia. I'm even kind of hoping I can grow hair on top of my head instead of just on top of my nose. 
So presuming Jesus had a perfectly biological resurrection body, why did he keep the scars? Let's read on. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin. By the way, Thomas, the name Thomas means twin. So I don't know if, he, if they called him twin or they called him Thomas, but that's what it means. So he wasn't there. And so the disciples, they come up to him and say, Thomas, you're, not, you're never going to believe this. And he says, yeah, but I won't. He says, we have seen the Lord. Yeah, right. He said, unless I see the hands, the, in the hands the marks of the nails and I place my finger in the mark of the nails and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Men and women, that is not the voice of a cynic. That is a voice of a loyal friend who has been hurt deeply. He didn't want to get hurt again. He didn't want to go through the pain of having my expectations dashed. This is one of those times where the time just wasn't going to heal the wound. Sometimes when we we think about the resurrection, we forget that Jesus had a disappointment with God moment. It's called Gethsemane. He said, Father, if there's any other way, I'm all ears. That's the BLT version. The Benedum Living Translation. I'm all ears. I, I, I don't want to do this, Lord. This isn't what, this is, is it, do we have, is this it? Is there another option? And of course we know there was not. Poor Thomas, he gets, I think, a bad rap. Because Thomas just says the things out loud that we're all thinking in our heart. But we're too afraid to say it. So eight days later, Jesus gives him a do-over. The disciples were inside again, and Thomas said, was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them. And he said, Shalom. Shalom. Peace over you. And then he turned to Thomas and he said, Put your finger here in my hands. Put your hand in the place of my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And my guess is Thomas just dropped to his knees right there in front of him and he said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Us. He's talking about us. Here's why I think he kept the scars. Here's why I think he kept the scars. Number one, his scars made Christ believable. They made him believable. 
It was the, it was the exhibit A that he uses. That the, he, he knew that this would be such a jolt on their system that they had to, they had to see something that would just wipe all of that away. He had to ski, or had, they had to see these scars. His scars made him believable. The scars were the proof to him and them and us that there is life on the other side of death. There is life on the other side of the difficulties and pain that you're in right now. And I know, because I know many of you, pain is a part of the world we're living in. And it's important to understand that we, re- we never forget in the midst of these moments when we're hopeless, it's not hopeless. There is life on the other side of the scar. It doesn't mean you're not going to have scars. But there's going to be life on the other side. This, this made him believable. This is, this, Jesus was no airbrushed icon on a mural somewhere. He was no snake oil salesman. He was no uh, con artist that was trying to get out of them what he wanted and then was going to leave them. This was the, he was the real deal. That's what he's telling us. And his scars tell us that he feels the same pain that you are feeling right now because he bore it in his body. He knows what it's like to be a human being because he is a human being. Fully and completely human, fully and completely God. It tells us that, that he, he wants you to know how much I love you. This is what I will do because I love you. On your worst day, on the day that you think God would turn his back on me because I'm such a scum. He loves you this much. They make him believable. Not only that, his scars, second of all, his scars make God approachable. This is going to sound crazy, but God wants a relationship with you. He's crazy about you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine, even though you're messed up more than you ever imagined. And what he wants you to do is he knows that in knowing him intimately is the answer to the issues that you're struggling with. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians I'm going to start reading in verse 8. It says, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. That's barnyard dung. I count it the same as that. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law that is doing good things and impress, trying to impress him, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. Here it is. That I may know him. We know him by faith. By trusting him in the worst times of our life. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. Wow. What's Paul saying? We have to remember, Paul's writing this. He's in prison. He's not sitting on a beach in Cancun with a daiquiri in his hand. He's in, in prison, and his prayer is not, Lord, get me out of here. His Lord is, give me strength that I might face this trial and thus know you more deeply. Deeply. Shallow answers. Deeper faith. You may not like it, but the only way to a deeper faith is going through tough times. Going through difficulties. Feeling the darkness crowd in around you to where you have nothing else around you that you cling to except the cross and the love of God, which is so unbelievable. He makes God approachable. He came and pitched his tent among us. He lived, he knows us, and he wants us to know him. The third thing is, he kept the scars because of what Peter says. 1 Peter 2, verse 23, we read, when he was reviled, that's Christ, he did not revile in return. Wish some of our politicians would get that. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He did, but continued entrusting himself. There's that word, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Even Jesus had to trust the Father to go through the trials he was going through. Do you see that? If he himself bore... He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that, he, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, by his scars, we were healed. The scars are not magical, but they are a testimony to the reality that it, what it took to save my soul and yours was his death. And in the midst of the most excruciating, painful way to die that man has ever conceived, Jesus, the perfect man, the God-man, entrusted himself to God. Entrusted himself to the Father to carry him through. Paul says that all the things that we chase to, to try to make us whole. I think if I just had enough money, if I just had a, a, a better face, if I just had uh, more power or more uh, fame or more personal autonomy that I could do whatever I wanted to do, then I would be made whole. And you know what? That only satisfies for a very short time because it's all going to go away. Paul tells us in, in First. Cor- or 2 Corinthians, that we are wasting away. Our outer man is wasting away and our inner man is being renewed day by day. The scars tell us a different story. See, shallow answers are really just untested faith. Let me say that again. Shallow answers that we're, we're looking to solve our problems are just untested faith that ultimately can't stand up. 
and it collapses under life's disappointments. But when we trust Him, when we entrust ourselves, we entrust our kids, we entrust our grandkids, we entrust the, 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 the situations we're in to God who knows everything, who judges justly, who knows my place in life, if I entrust myself to Him in my darkest day, in my worst moment, in my ugliest, nastiest time, He will walk with us through those to the other side of the scar. You see, the scars forge a deeper faith, an abundant life, a richer experience, a greater compassion and love for others that is the mark of true discipleship. How will they know that we are Christians? By our love for one another and them. See, by trusting Him in the... So how do we move through that? Well, I would suggest we start here. We trust Him and trust Himself in the trials we think we can bear until we're able to trust Him in the trials we think we never could bear. And in that moment, His grace meets us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That word blessed could be abundant, joyful, happy are those who believe, even though you've not seen. Our struggles are not proof that God has abandoned us, men and women. They're proof that he's refining us. He's shaping us. He's molding us so that we're going to look more like Jesus when we meet him. He's using them to refine us in a way that we will be able to live out the term Christians, which means little Christs. Little Christs. I know that it is Andrew's prayer and it is my prayer that we become a local church worth believing in. And this is where it begins with each of us. To become a body under the head that he talked about last week. That is living out an entrusting life and not settling for shallow answers, but pursuing him. And when we do, the world will notice. The world will see.